One of my hobbies is to ride bicycles in a way to stay in shape. And it's important that if you take on that hobby, that you learn how to fall. It is a skill which some folks have more practice than others. I remember one specific episode. I was living in the mountains and riding down a nice incline in the mountains. As you can imagine, you can pick up a good bit of speed. And uh, rounding a corner, which can be a precarious uh, circumstance. But making it even more challenging was the dog that lived nearby. Unknown to me, the dog had decided that at the first glimpse of me to charge down the driveway and run right at me. I soon discovered that. And as I looked, the last thing I remember seeing was his teeth bared at my legs. Now, I don't know what you would do in that moment, but uh, what I did was just kind of instinct, not necessarily the best idea, but I decided I don't want him on my leg, and so though I'm going at a high speed around the corner, I will take off my leg from this side of the bicycle and put it all of my body on one side, thereby keeping the bicycle between me and the dog. That might have been a good idea, except for the fact that I was going at a high speed around the corner. And so I then saw the ditch. That was coming at me. And, uh, you know, these things happen in one second. But it's amazing how adrenaline just makes you think extremely fast. Everything's moving slow. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to hit that ditch. How should I fall? And I quickly made up my mind. And this is what you do if you fall. You roll. All right. I'm going to fall and I'm going to roll down this ditch. But I'm going to keep the bicycle between me and the dog. And so that's what I did. And I, amazingly enough, was able to stand up. And the dog thought, hey, you know, I did my deal. And he ran off. And uh, he felt very proud of himself. And I was looking around to see if anybody saw me. Uh, and then looked at my bicycle and said, can I ride this thing out of here? And all these things go by quickly. But it's important to know that you're going to fall. And you need to know how to fall. All right? What I want to talk about today is how to fall. Because you're going to fall. I was thinking this morning as I was going, uh, coming to church and just listening to the news and, and just the trajectory of life, the court, course that we're in. And I'm looking at the roadway of life, and sometimes you know when there's going to be a tragedy ahead of you. And I was looking at this, and I was reading Scripture, thinking about Scripture, and I think, you know what? For us as believers in America, there is a tragedy ahead of us. We are rounding a corner, and we're going at fast speeds. And it's just inevitable that we will fall. So, what does that mean? Fall. You will go through circumstances that you wish didn't happen. Let me share with you some scripture that makes me come to that conclusion. Scripture says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 and 2 says, But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Our difficult days will occur. And he goes on and tells why. He says, because men will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Well, when you have a society like that, society is going to get worse and worse. 
And that's what we've got, and that's how it's going to go. So don't be surprised when life takes difficult turns and society becomes uh, to another level of evil. And then the Bible says in First Timothy, or Second Timothy, chapter four, he says the time will come when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears that will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own desires. And so when I think about that, I think you know, if we're going to stand for truth. And we live in this day where every day is a little bit more difficult than the day before. There is an accident waiting to happen for there is a dog nipping at us. And it's just a matter of time before we fall in the ditch. Well, Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 12 says something similar. It says, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. There is a ditch waiting for everyone who desires to live a godly in Christ Jesus. There is a dog waiting for you that will push you over the edge. And it's going to happen to every single one of us who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus. That's just life. Be encouraged. This is, going to be, this is one of those passages where uh, it's, it's kind of like the, uh, the anti-prosperity gospel uh, message. This is the life will not be good passage. Uh, and so, you know, just be encouraged. It's not going to make any uh, top sellers. Uh, it, it won't be in the top podcast or top on the radio or top book. But, hey, this is the truth. You know, there's another passage that says, James 1.12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God's promised to those who love him. He says, look, you know what? Be encouraged when you go through trials and adversities. First Peter 4.12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial which comes upon you to test you as though something strange was happening to you. If you lose your job because you're a believer, don't think it's strange. If life gets difficult, if loved ones die, if you find the sentence of death put upon you, if you are put in prison even though you are righteous and just, don't be surprised. These things are to be expected. Hebrews 12 verse 11. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceable fruit of the righteousness. To those who have been trained by it. There is a strain that you will often hear uh, of the gospel on TV or on the radio. And you, you flip it on and almost any gospel TV station will produce this idea that if you have enough faith, if you just believe in the word of God, if you are just obedient, then good things were going to happen. And if you have faith enough, you will overcome. The problem is, is the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that instead, if you have faith, you will be defeated. You will have difficult days and sickness is going to happen and just because you pray and have enough faith does not mean that you will get better nor does it mean that you'll have a bmw in your garage and your house will be nice the problem is that the gospel many that you hear on tv says you know what love god and by loving god you'll have the riches of the world but instead we find that either it will do one or the other you cannot love this world and love god at the same time and so we will fall. We will get pushed into a ditch. And so if that's going to happen, we best learn how to fall. And so I want to take you to Genesis chapter 40. And we have here the story of Joseph. 
And this story is often, chapter 40, often combined with chapter 41. Even a lot of the sermons and commentators will put 40 and 41 together because, well, 41 is the happy ending. Chapter 40 is, oh man, he's in prison. He's forgotten. For some immeasurable amount of time, it's an unstated amount of time, he's just in prison. And we don't want to stay in prison, so we quickly go to 41 and say, look, see, it has a happy ending. And there is within us that in every story we want to have, they lived happily ever after, and we apply this to Joseph's life. But the problem with that is that in chapter 40, Joseph doesn't know there is a chapter 41. Joseph doesn't know that one day he'll be brought before Pharaoh and that all the wrongs will be righted. All he knows is that it's been wrong after wrong after wrong and he deals with it. That's where some of us will be as well. And so if we live in a life where there is wrong, where there is injustice, where there is impression, where you may be persecuted because you do stand up for what's right, we better learn how to live in it. And Joseph's got some things to teach us. It is example. And so we're going to read this chapter together. And we're going to learn that God's presence was with them. In fact, if you remember from last week, chapter 39, let me just read those three verses right before chapter 40. It says, The Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And then the last passage of that chapter It says, the Lord was with them, and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. So what does it look like when the Lord is with you, and he is steadfast in his love towards you? Let's see what that looks like. Let's read together chapter 40. In honor of this passage, let's stand as we read this, as this being the word of God. Let's see what it looks like when God's love is with you, and his presence is with you. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against the lord, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. And they continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the kingdom of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody in his master's house, Why your face is downcast today? And they said to him, We have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. But Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on that vine there were three branches. And as soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them to Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift you up on your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were with his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. And so get me out of this house, for I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I've done nothing that they should put me into the pit. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream, and there were three cakes, cake baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, and the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you, 
and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants and restored the chief cupbearer to his position. And he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. You may be seated. Well, when is it ever going to happen for Joseph? What, is this what it looks like to be loved by God? Is this what it looks like to have the presence of God in his life? From Joseph's example up to this point, we find as a theme throughout his life up to this point, which he's 28 at the time that he has these dreams encountered uh, with these baker and butler. Up to his life, 28, he is beloved by his father, more than anyone else, but he lived in a, in a dysfunctional home. And though he has had some dreams in which God has spoken to him, the brothers hated him for it so much so that they wanted to kill him. And as a compromise, they sold him to slave traders. And there he is brought to Egypt, but yet God's presence is with them. You think, well, God, you know, if you loved him, how could that happen? But yet, nonetheless, he's there in prison, and there he rises still into Potiphar's household, so much that he is Potiphar's right-hand man, catches the eye of Potiphar's wife, and Potiphar's wife wants to have an immoral relationship with him. But Joseph, being loved by God, having God's presence, and loving God in return, says, No, I will not do this wickedness against God, nor will I betray my master. And for his righteous works, because God is with him, and his presence is there, his loving kindness, he gets put in prison. You think... Whoa, I thought, uh, you know, isn't when you love God and you're in good with God, doesn't that mean good things happen to you? Well, you know, you have this baker and butler come into place and think, okay, maybe God's going to right these wrongs. And and there he is and and a divine appointment occurs and, and Joseph is involved in a way that only God can do in these lives and sharing, interpreting dreams. And then when these things happen for two years, he's forgotten. And we rush to 41 and think, oh, see, God made it right. But listen, two years, Joseph was sitting there wondering, you know, God, what are you doing? You think it would be easy for you to question the presence of God if that was you? If this is the love of God, I don't want it is often where we could come to. Let me just take for a moment and share with you what it looks like, or more important, what it's not when God is with you and his love is with you. When his loving presence is there, it does not mean, one, that you will be protected from abuse and abandonment from your family. Understand that. You can love God and you can be the only one who loves God. And you can be abused. Your husband, your spouse can leave you and call you a fruitcake and make you pay all the bills. And you say, God, this is not right. This is a great injustice, a wickedness. I've done nothing but been faithful to you. And here I am being abandoned by people. And God says, yep. Yep. There is no promise. Just because you're loved by God and his presence is with you that you will not be abandoned and abused. And remind you, let me remind you what family Joseph comes from. This is the family of Jacob. You remember where God says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is this family. It is, in fact, uh, if there's anyone that you might go to to learn about God, would you not go to Jacob 
and see his family and think, oh my, (laughs) that's the one that abused him. Because God's loving presence is there does not mean that you will be exempt from unexpected restrictions of circumstances. This is something that Chuck Swindell brought out in his book on Joseph. That Listen, look at Joseph's life. How, how has he been restricted? Has it not been done in a great way? Does it, do you imagine that Joseph looked back and wondered in, memory, in his memories? Thought, you know, I remember walking in the night with the, with the sheep and, and spending open air nights and seeing the moon and feeling the fresh air of my face and feeling the sunrise warm my body and, and being outside and being in the favorite place of my father and, and having that, that coat, that coat of honor and, and the riches that are there. And it's been years since I've even felt fresh air and felt the sun upon my skin, the moon upon me. And all I've got now are these stinking men around me in this dark, damp place. And I've been here for years. You think he was restricted? Listen. These restrictions may come upon us in many ways. It may be that some of us are thinking, you know what? I've lost my job. And I've lost a job for every year now. And I have no prospect for, for, uh, for any kind of employment. God, don't you know that if I had a job that I would have more money? If I had more money, I could be more of a blessing for you. God, if you loved me, if you were with me, would I not have income right now? For some of us, the restrictions may be on our health and we say to ourselves, you know what? God, if God is with me, his presence was with me, then I would be free to do all that I can. I wouldn't be stuck here in a hospital room. I wouldn't be stuck in assisted living for the rest of my days. There are some of us that in this room, that's going to happen to us. It's just a matter of time. And we may spend a good portion of our life in four walls and never leaving. And we ask ourselves, well, God, if, if that's you're with me, Shouldn't I be able to, I mean, if I just could do all that I could to do with the freedom, I would be such a blessing for you. Would that not be true for Joseph? If he could just go out and do the freedom that he, that he once had, would he not be a blessing for God? But that's not what God has done. God's presence with us, his loving presence toward us does not mean that we will always have free reign in the circumstances of our life. Listen. We need to understand that there will be a sickness in our life. And as a pastor, it'll be awfully tempting to tell you, you know what? God can heal you. And God can. I would not be lying if I told you that. But if I so geared you so that if you prayed... And you just pray... And you just believe... Then healing is going to happen... Don't think about the alternative because that's negative thinking. I would not be doing my job. There is a lady and a member of our church that has brain cancer. And chemo is not being effective in her body. The doctors are saying it's about weeks and months now. If God doesn't do a miracle, she's going to die soon. What do I tell her? You just pray. Just just pray. God can do a miracle. But I know very well that for God's presence there with her, her loving, his loving presence there may mean that death is going to occur. What do I tell her? I talk about death. And I talk about how God can be with her 
in this. There is a younger lady that's working in our preschool. She's found to have colon cancer in the fourth stage. It's attacking her body. And for her to have a chance of living, she's going to have to be on chemo for the rest of her life. She's got children. What do you tell her? Well, if God's presence was with you, then this just wouldn't happen. These bad things just don't occur to folks who have God's presence and love by God. I'd be lying. I'd be lying. I said, look at Joseph. He felt for years being in prison, restricted in his abilities. These circumstances. There are some of you who will lose your job. What will I tell you? Oh, well, God must not have been there with you. No, in all these things, Joseph has been repeated over and over. God's presence was with him and he loved him. Yet he did lose his job. He lost his reputation. And and, and that just gets us to the next point. Is that just because God's presence is with us and his love is with us does not mean that we're exempt from mistreatment from false accusations. You can lose your testimony. People can look at you with scorn because they think that you are a rapist, a sexual criminal. You could have your name on the internet list. So everywhere you move, that everyone knows that there is a sexual uh, criminal in our midst. And you could say to yourselves, I did not do anything. This is wrong. And people think the worst of me. God, if you love me, then you would make this right. Joseph didn't have that. He didn't have that. He faced the, the prison term of a crime he did not commit. And then, as he goes through and he, he does a work of the Lord with these two men, and the, the butler goes back to his place, the cupbearer goes back to his place of position of honor next to the Pharaoh, and he forgets Joseph. He forgets Joseph. Listen, just because God's presence is with you does not mean that you'll be forgotten by the people that count in this world. You could be unfairly forgotten. And people not give you the contributions that you think you deserve. That can happen. Listen. We need to understand something. You think, well, you know, if that's the case, what's the point? (laughs) Why do I want God's presence with me? What do I get? Well, here's what you get. You get the presence of an eternal, loving All-wise, all-knowing God. (laughs) That's what you get. You don't get promises of prosperity. You don't get promises of recognition. You don't get promises of all the circumstances going your way. You don't get promises that everybody's going to love you and that you'll never be abandoned. He says, I don't give you any of those things. In fact, I give you the promise of persecution and suffering. But you have my presence. You think, well, (laughs) you know what? I'm not sure I want that. Well, you don't have to like it. But there does have to be a choice in your life where you have to ask yourself, do I want the presence of God or do I want the benefits of this world? Which one will it be? Some of you think, well, Pastor, you're, you know, you're being pretty smug about all this and being frank about it. Let me just share with you that the things I share with you from the scripture are not just done in a laboratory of my study. There was a period of time When my wife had a brain tumor. I've shared this with you before. And we had two young children. 
Our youngest was less than a year old at the time. And they were saying all, all the possibilities that could occur with this, with this surgery. And I, I was looking for something to grasp. I mean, what, what do you hold on to to have hope? I mean, I'm a pastor for crying out loud. I'm supposed to have some kind of chipper perspective here. You know, I just love God. Everything's going to work out. It's okay. I was like, Lord, what can I hold on to? I could not in good conscience, because I knew too much about the scripture, say, it's all going to be good. Because I've read about stories like Joseph and Job. And understood that God had no qualms whatsoever. Let people suffer and endure things that they thought were unimaginable. I thought, God, what do I have when I have you? I read the scriptures. And I thought about the worst case scenario. God, what, what if she doesn't make it through the surgery? What do I have? God, I can't raise up two little girls of my own. Pastor, how do I, how am I going to do that? God, I, I don't know how to do that. And God reminded me that I've got the grace of God, the spirit of God, and that everything that I need will be supplied through his grace. I thought, well, Lord, you know what? I, I, don't, I, I don't know if I can do that. It hadn't happened yet. I didn't have the grace for it. God doesn't give you grace for all the hypotheticals of all the things that could happen. But here's one thing that when you think about the hypotheticals, when you think about the worst case scenario, and I think it's healthy for us to think about the worst case scenario and say, okay, in the worst case scenario... I don't know how I'm going to deal with it. I don't know how financially, emotionally, spiritually I can deal with these things. But I do know this, that God's going to give me the grace to deal with that if it happens. I think, well, what if she has some kind of disability and it calls her extensive care and treatment? God says there's a grace there for that too. So when it came time to having the surgery, wouldn't you know it? God gave me the grace to deal with with the surgery. I had that presence with me. And I had the promise that, you know what? God's got something in store. He's doing something through this. And, I, and those are the two things I held on to. I held, held on to the prayers of the people around me. I held on to the supply of the Holy Spirit that would be there for me. And I held on to the fact that God was going to have a plan and he was going to do something through that plan. And those were the only three things I could hold on to. And you've got to ask yourself if that's enough. So let me just share with you what you have is an eternal, loving God that is all-wise, all-knowing. So what does that mean? Well, you've got to remember that God's timing is his timing. It's going to be done in his time, his time. I, uh, I ordered something last Saturday, a package online. And so, you know, I got the email saying it's been shipped. I said, all right, great. So I've had a little ticker going on in my head. You do the same thing. I know when it's been five to seven days, as they've promised. And so I asked my wife yesterday, hey, did we have a package come in? I saw the mail, saw the mailman going down the road as I was passing by. And I think, all right, maybe the package is sitting right there next to them, and they're going to just drop it off. And I came back, and, and my, my wife said, no, no package. I'm like, what? No package? 
They said five, seven days. It's been a week. Eight days is not good enough. Nine days is not good enough. And I'm getting a little anxious about the deal. It makes me want to check out things. Hey, can I track this? Where's it at? That's how we are, isn't it? Well, God says, you know what? It's not done on your time. It's done in my time. And he is eternal. <laughs> oh, You know, God doesn't give us a time schedule, does he? I can't see a time schedule. That God's going to bring all things to good in his time. And this is the time. It's going to take approximately seven to eight years. You know what we would do then? God said, it takes seven to eight years for all the bad things in your life to to turn out to be good. You know what we'd wait on? That time schedule. I'd go more to the calendar than I would God. God doesn't want us to wait on time schedule. He wants us to wait on him. He gives us no time schedule. So what does that mean? When we have an eternal, loving, all-knowing God, it means that we have to wait on His time. His time. Also, not only is it done in His time, it's done in His way. His way. We've got to remember that sometimes disappointments are some of the best appointments God has in store. Could Joseph had known that being put in prison, that he'd come across with the uppity up of Pharaoh there in prison? I mean, how do you, how do you gain influence in the government? You go to prison, all right? That's how it happened there. And that's what happened. And so he brings him up next to the, the cupbearer, uh, and the, the baker. And he, and he has this moment of time where, where he, God does a work through Joseph. I mean, but then the two years pass, and you think, well, why did, why did that happen? You gotta understand, he was in his 20s. You remember when you were in your 20s or some of you are in your 20s now and you think, you know what? In my 20s, I envisioned these things happening. This is the prime of my life, so to speak. I'm, I'm at my strongest point. He spent his 20s in prison for the most part. But he didn't miss one thing. He didn't miss one thing. God had him there at the right time and the famine was about to occur to put him in the best position. His ways are different. You've got to understand that God knows something that you do not. Joseph had no way of knowing that God was going to use Joseph as a, as a way of providing physical salvation for the line of Jacob. So that one day Jesus could come and a redeemer would come. But Joseph was indispensable upon that to make sure that someone was there to find as a haven for the Jews of that day. He had no way of knowing that. He did eventually. In chapter 49 and 50, we find out he's kind of come wise to that. But he didn't know that when he was in prison. Some of us won't ever know this. You know, when you think about the troubles and things that Job went through, Job never did find out in his lifetime, according to scriptures, why things happened. It's not recorded that God said, Job, let me in on the secret. I'm using you. I'm going through this. And I'm going to use your example to encourage millions of believers who will come after you. He didn't have that knowledge. All he knew is, man, all my children are gone. They're out of here. We've got to remember because it's done on his time and his way, that the process is just as important as the project. The goal is working in you to build faith, to be more like Christ. 
just think about it. God could have said, Joseph, I'm going to use you. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring you down to Egypt. Let's just skip this whole being sold into slavery deal and serving Potiphar. And I'm just going to bring you before Pharaoh. And I'm going to work miracle after miracle through you like I did with Moses. But unlike the Pharaoh of Moses' day, I'm going to soften his heart. And the Pharaoh was going to say, oh, you serve a mighty God. Let me make you as a counselor. Let, let me make you as prime minister in our government. God could have done that, but he did not. He chose a way in which this man, Joseph, longed after God more than anyone else. There was a commercial that came out a few years ago. They don't, they don't air it now because it's too realistic. And it's, it's the commercial of these children, uh, these little children playing in the playground, and they're, they're in, the, in front of the camera, and they're telling their dreams for the life. You know, this is what I want to be when I grow up. Instead of being a doctor or a lawyer... Child says, I want to rise all the way to middle management. And then another child is before the camera screen. He says, I want to be forced into early retirement. <laughs> they don't air that commercial anymore. It doesn't, uh, it's not funny anymore because that's what's happening. And you ask yourself, well, you know what? That child that's forced into early retirement, that child that, that goes into middle management or never sees management or, or uh, never gets a good steady job, is that child a failure? If that's, if that's true, it's because that person made job their God, made it their life. Job would be considered... Joseph could be considered a failure at this point in time. But God says, no, he's not a failure. He is a success in my eyes because he is not loving the world. If you love the world, when the world goes bad, then your life goes bad. But if you love God, you'll find that it can rise above the circumstances of this world. I'm not talking about the power of positive thinking. Yeah, Norman Vincent Peale made that, that book popular, Power of Positive Thinking. you got others that champion. Every generation has that champion. Zig Ziglar had said sometimes past that uh, he is so positive that he will uh, go after Moby Dick in a rowboat and carry the tartar sauce with him. Well, that's great. But you know, if God hasn't called you to do that, then that tartar sauce is going to be used on you. Just because you have positive thoughts does not mean that things are going to happen right. The power is found in what God's called you to do and who he wants you to be. And when you follow him, that is the difference maker, not just whether or not you can think positive. It's whether or not you can think faithfully and trust in God. That's the difference that's being called for here. It doesn't matter how positive Joseph may have been, but he had the word of God. Remember what the word of God was? Remember those dreams he had as a young boy? He says, you know what? I dreamed that the, the sheaves of my brothers bowed down to my sheaf. I believe, I dreamed one day that the sun and the moon and all the stars bowed down to me. And he used that, interpreted it to say that there'll be a day when the brothers and my father are going to bow down to me. <laughs> That's some kind of prayer or some kind of dream. But you know what? We realize that that was what Joseph was holding on to. How do we know that? Notice what's being said in this he meets these guys. He is an exuberant personality. He is a different personality. Here's how I know. He sees two men in prison and they have a disgruntled face and Joseph thinks that's strange. <laughs> he says, why are you disgruntled? Why, why is this sad look on your face? Evidently, it was unusual to have a sad face in Joseph's prison because Joseph was in charge. But nonetheless, he had a servant mentality. 
he had a suffering. Listen, if he was bemoaning all the bad things that was happening to him, I doubt he would be very much considerate of the needs of others. But notice when he finds out what's going on, he says, what's going on? He says, well, we've had these dreams and, and it's bothering us. And, and notice what Joseph says in reply. He says, you've, you've had dreams? Well, verse 8, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. What was being said there? This is what was being said. Joseph said, God is about dreams. And he brings interpretations. And I'm on speaking terms with God. Tell me your dreams. Maybe God will give me an answer. You would think that Joseph would be a little bit more leery about that. I mean, after all, what was his last dream? That that his brothers would bow down and his father would bow down. He's far away from that. No, he still believes that. He still believes that God's going to work through that and that dream. And so he's holding on to that. And therefore, he's able to say, hey, tell me your dreams. I've had a dream before. I believe in it. And I'm on speaking terms with God. That's another important fact. He's on speaking terms with God. He spends his days in prison. Why? Because his God was not prosperity. His God was not social prominence. His God was not comfort because all that's been jettisoned. But he is okay because he loves God. Let me ask you. There may be a day and time. Because you are a believer, you may not see your children grow up. What if that happened? You may not see your children grow up. Maybe sickness comes in, disease comes in, and it may be that I don't know who's going to take care of my children. I'm going to die. I won't be able to see my grandchildren born. I won't be able to see my, my child reaching adulthood. Or worst yet, maybe you'll see the end of your life. Of your child. And you never saw him reach adulthood. Let me say. Where will your life be? When it faces the worst. This world can throw at you. Where will your life be? Will largely be determined. By what you love. Is it wrong to love your children? No. It's normal and right. Is it long to love your spouse, to love your parents, love your life, love your health? No, that's normal, right? But Jesus says, I've come, and if you're going to be my disciple, you're going to have to love me more than your husband, more than your spouse, more than your children, more than your father. If you're going to follow me, you must love me more than life itself. And in that moment of time, which can surely come, will your life crumble and fall? Because the Lord was not your Lord. Listen, we live in a sinful world. Do not be surprised when people do injustice. We live in a world with death reigns. Unless the Lord tarries and comes back, we will all die. Some may be earlier than we thought. And some may be long and gruesome. That's the world we live in. We live in a world with sin. People will sin against you and do all measures of wrong against you. And justice may never prevail in this life. But that's true whether you follow God or not. That's the world we live in. 
What's the difference? When you follow God, you have a shepherd who's with you. He says, you know what? This is going to happen, and it may get worse because you follow me, but I am with you. I will give you the grace so that when you go through these things, not only will you survive, you'll be the type of person who can love others and serve others. You'll be the type of person that can do things that only God can do, whether it's interpreting dreams or just showing acts of compassion when you yourself are suffering. That's the difference that this will bring. And you can go through that knowing that God's going to do a work and it's going to be revealed in some time so that all these stuff that you go through, you understand that it was done for a purpose. If you don't follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you get all the bad stuff and you have none of his promises. None of his promises. So Joseph tells the truth. He says, you know, you got two dreams. One's good. You're going to be restored. Cupbearer. Baker. Man, I'm sorry to say, buddy. <laughs> You're going to die in three days. You're going to have your head lifted off of you, and you will be impelled. You'll be exposed, and the birds are going to eat your flesh. Ooh, you feel bad for the baker. I mean, is he there just to show that Joseph is a man of God? Did he have to die that way? Understand, both men did wrong. Both men did wrong. The butler got mercy. The baker got what was coming to him. But he got a word from God through Joseph as a word of warning so that he could turn and repent. Listen, I want to share with you the gospel, and that's simply this. One man has said it this way. The Lord is coming back. That's the good news. The bad news is he's sure mad. All right? Here's the thing. We have an encounter with God, and he is angry with our sin. But listen, he shares this with you so that you can turn and ask for the mercy of God that he has provided through his son, Jesus Christ. He loves you, and he wants you to know the forgiveness of God. He wants to walk with you through this difficult, dark life and be your light. But what will you do? Will you love God more than this world? That's the price paid. You're going to lose the world anyway. You might as well love God. Let's pray. Father, this is the world we live in. Not as we had asked or we dreamed or we would design. But it is the world that we have chosen. A world with sin and consequently disease, death, sickness, injustice, and oppression. And we will deal with that one way or the other. But Lord, I pray that everyone here will do so by loving you more than life itself. They give their most treasured possessions to you. God, may we know you as Savior and Lord, asking you to be our king. And asking you forgiveness of our sins, that you may walk with us. Even if it's through the valley of shadow of death. We don't have to fear any evil because you're with us. Your rod and your staff comfort us. We pray this in your name. Amen.